0: But this story is not what you think it is. It is a very, very serious account about a very, very serious subject the judgment of God. We read half of the passage upon which the sermon's based a little earlier, from verse 13 of chapter 5 down through verse 5 of chapter 6. We're going to read from. Joshua chapter 6, verse 6, all the way until verse 25. Would you please stand and give your attention to the reading of God's word? So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward. March around the city and let the armed man pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you will shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. And then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually and the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually and the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp and so they did for six days on the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. And so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell flat down. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. And only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to be with us in this very difficult, beautiful, tough passage. Father, we pray that you will now take your word and that you will massage our hearts, that you will take the hard clumps of stubbornness and that you will make us teachable and moldable. And you may even take hearts in this room who do not know you, and through the preaching of your word, open their hearts to believe. Oh, Jesus, show us our great need for you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my children's favorite things to do is to watch movie trailers. When you watch movie trailers, It doesn't really matter what the movie is. It gives you incredible emotion. Either it says, yes, I want to go and watch that movie. Or it makes you go, no way am I going to watch that one. If you're like my wife, it's the scary movies that she says, no way, not in a million years. And if you like action, then you're like my son who says, yes, let's go. Can we go to that movie right now? And oftentimes it's hard when you watch movie trailers because you just, you either want to see them or you want to stay away from them. But they're trailers. They are pictures of what the movie is going to be about and the movie is not yet out. Joshua chapter 6 is for us like a movie trailer. And it is about a very, very serious subject. Judgment. But unlike movie trailers where you get to choose whether or not you get to go to that movie, friends, please hear me. All of you will see this movie. Joshua is a biblical book, which in our Bibles is placed in the historical books, alongside Judges, alongside 1st and 2nd Samuel, First and Second Kings, but you, did you know that Jews do not place the Book of Joshua in the historical books? Although it is true history, the Jews, for a generation even millennia, have placed the Book of Joshua together with Judges, together with First and Second Samuel, which was one book, together with First and Second Kings, which was one book, in the prophetic literature. You know why? Because this story is not just a story about the plains of Jericho and a city who had strong walls that fell down. This story is a story about you and it's a story about me. And whether or not you wanna watch this movie or not, you will see this movie. And so let's look at the preview together. You see three things in the story. You see a man with a drawn sword, you see a city with high walls and you see the God with a very odd method. Let's look together. The man with the drawn sword. This man with the drawn sword that you see in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, is Jesus Christ. It is what we call in biblical theology a type, a type of the pre-incarnate Christ. It is a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ before his incarnation. And like the star of this movie... Jesus stands there with a sword that is drawn. And the sword being drawn is absolutely critical to what follows. Because Jesus is the one who comes to give both grace and judgment. Thus the meaning of the two-edged sword. And the Jews reading this would immediately know, and everybody within the hearing of this book when it was first read, would know that every human being will be struck with the edge of this sword of one side or of the other. And this man is dressed as a warrior, and in his hand is an instrument of battle, an instrument of judgment. And so Joshua, seeing this man and as a vignette, seeing the high walls out of focus behind this young warrior, asks a very logical question. Excuse me, sir, with the big sword, are you for us or for our adversaries? And Jesus, the man with the drawn sword, says, What? No. I am the commander of the Lord's army. As if Jesus were to say, Listen, I don't take sides, I don't come to take sides, I come to take over. And here Joshua comes face to face with this man with the drawn sword. It is a man of God's own choosing. It is a warrior king ready to fight for his people, to give grace, to give judgment, a two-edged sword. The Lord Jesus comes with a double-edged sword. And friends, he comes to every single one of us. Make no mistake about that central point of this passage. Joshua stares intensely at this man and as he sees him, he can think of this man with the drawn sword and he can't help but notice the high high walls that are standing behind him. And he says to this man, well, I don't care whose side you're on, really. How are you going to help us overcome this formidable city? Listen, the river was one thing. We've got the beautiful Jordan stones to remind us of God's faithfulness. But look at these walls. And the man with the drawn sword stands there in the shadow of these high, high walls of this great, great city. The man with the drawn sword. Second image you've got to understand if you understand this text is you have to understand the city with the high, high walls. Jericho in this passage represents every worldly power. It is like a preview of an upcoming movie where the trumpet blast is given and God is going to judge all the forces of the world that are arrayed against him. And Jericho symbolizes their arrayed might. The fall of Jericho is a symbol of the fall of every worldly power. It is shut up tight, it says, so that no one can go in or go out. There is a clear line of separation between God's people and the worldly power. Between Israel and the Canaanites. And it might not always seem clear to you, but it is absolutely clear to the Lord what's going to happen to the city. Because he says in verse 2 of chapter 6 See, I have given the king into your hand. And if I were Joshua, I would say, uh, uh, I, I don't see. There are double thick walls here, Lord. I don't see how you've given anything into my hands. Jericho was for Canaan, a refuge and a sanctuary city. You know, we said several weeks ago, when I talked about Israel crossing over the Jordan, do you remember that? I said, the Canaanites worshiped a a God called Baal, who was the God of storms, wind, rain, and what? And rivers. But Jericho itself was a sanctuary city for another God that they worshiped, the moon God. And while Baal existed outside of the city to protect them by the river, it was the moon goddess who protected them within the city. This passage is not simply about Israel coming to take over the land. This passage is not just about physical forces. It's about spiritual forces. It is about the one true God battling the spiritual forces of the Canaanites. And you say, well how, well, how can that be? Listen, many, many years ago, God gave to Abraham a promise. And he said, one day, Abraham, back in Genesis 15, he said, Abraham, one day I'm going to give to you land, a seed, and a blessing. But you can't yet go into that land. And if you remember the language that the Lord used earlier, he said, you cannot yet go into that land because the iniquity of the Amorites, Amorites, Canaanites, same thing. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, the Lord was being patient with Canaan to say, I'm going to be patient with them. And I hope and pray, Abraham might have said, that the Lord helps me take this land, my posterity take this land without a fight. But the Canaanites continued to reject any idea if they had heard the gospel proclaimed through the prophets, they rejected any idea of the one true God and instead chose to worship Baal and the moon goddess and the whole plethora of other gods that they worshipped. And God's patience has a limit. God's judgment is a vindication of his patience. And many of you within the sound of my voice may not have ever believed in Jesus, may still be struggling with the claims of faith. And God is being very patient with you, even as he has been and continues to be with me. God's patience is there to bring us to repentance. But he will not be patient forever because he is the holy God and he must be separated from sin. And here are the plans of Jericho. His judgment of Jericho was a vindication of the patience that he had had. So this battle is not just against flesh and blood, it is against the principalities and the rulers and the spiritual forces of this present darkness. It is harem warfare, total annihilation and destruction. of people who God had been patient with and of whom he destroyed. And like a good movie trailer, we all have to see this movie. And it is with the two-edged sword you will be struck. The question is, will you be struck on the side of grace or will you be struck with the side of judgment? The fall of Jericho... And the fall of the city was destroyed and nothing was left except the vessels of bronze and silver which were purified through the fire that burned the city then to be used for the Lord's purposes. The fall of Jericho with its high, high walls was a symbol of God's judgment against every worldly power. Do you see the man with the drawn sword? Do you see the high, high walls of Jericho? Next, you must see God's very odd method. In this particular instance of judgment, this foreshadowing of judgment ahead of time, the Lord uses an incredibly odd method to bring Jericho down. And this is the story of many children's skits and of many costume parties. It is the famous march around Jericho, which the Lord sets up this very interesting parade, doesn't he? It's a parade by very elaborate means where He takes a large, a strange caravan with armed men to lead the way. And behind them, seven priests, seven Levites, who are carrying the Ark of the Lord. And they're carrying very ornate trumpets. And they are blowing the trumpets as they walk around the city. And behind the priests is a kind of rear guard. It's kind of like the veterans in the Veterans Day Parade. You see the veterans on the 4th of July Parade, right? 4th of July Parade, you'll see the veterans at the very, very end. You have the armed men, you have the seven priests, and you have the rear guard. It's a very strange parade. And the text is not altogether clear with where the people are of Israel. To walk around Jericho would have been kind of like walking the Centennial Trail jogging loop. It would have been about that size. So you can imagine if you had a million men in Israel at the time, certainly the entire train would be one solid ring of people. It is not clear where the people are. They're probably milling about somewhere on the plains of Jericho, close by in their tents, as this very specific parade of people. Armed men, seven priests, rear guard, are walking around the city once a day for six days. And no one is to speak. It just, that's such, that's so much like the way the Lord works. He's not asking any of your opinions. You can't even open your mouth. Isn't that how God works so many times? I don't understand why you do it like this, walking around a city. And the only thing that people were to hear would be the ram's horns blowing continually as they walked around the city one time a day for six days in a row. And then on the seventh day, they march around the city seven times. And at the appointed time, Joshua says, okay, I want all of your energy over the last six days to come together in one loud shout. And we're going to shout. I mean, can you imagine how odd it would be if the elders of your church said to you, okay, we're going to go and we're going to take Tulsa for Jesus. And we are going to march around the BOK Center. I mean, imagine if you were an Israelite. This would be so strange to see. To shout? Like, have you, ever met, have you ever been with a large group of people and like shouted at the same time? It's kind of fun. You want to try it? On the count of three, let's all say hallelujah as loud as we possibly can. Ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah! <laughs> That was pretty good. Let's do it again, shall we? Let's say it twice. One, two, three. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Imagine a million people. And I don't think it was the reverberations of their voices that brought down the walls of Jericho. They were double thick walls, friends. They were very, very strong. This is a very odd method for the Lord to bring destruction upon his people. Or upon the Canaanites, rather. And as good as your shouting was, and as good as Israel's shouting, I'm sure is, that was not what brought down the walls. It was the Lord's judgment that brought down the walls. I mean, Joshua has to insist that this method is from the Lord. And he will entertain no contradictory method except the way the Lord prescribes. It's very, very strange. Now, let me talk to you about something that's very, very serious about this passage. God wipes out a city. Has that ever bothered you? Old and young, the donkeys. Can I worship a God like that? Wipes out an entire city. If this literature, which is historically true, it is true, it's also a prophetic picture. It is meant to teach you something theologically about your future. It is to teach us that even if you do not wanna see this movie, you will see it. And you will be struck by one edge of that two-edged sword or the other, by the sword of grace or by the sword of judgment. And let me just say very, very clearly, That less than good people are God's instruments for judgment. Let me say that again. God uses less than good people to be his instruments of judgment. We see this passage and we think about the Canaanites, the wicked evil Canaanites who outlasted God's patience for them. And so the Lord brought destruction when their iniquity was full. And we think conversely about the Israelites and we think, well, they were great. They were the good people. It's, it, you think about this kind of like when you hear the word conquest, you think about like, you know, like the, uh, the conquest of, of World War uh, II of the allies taking over Europe, the conquest of Europe. That is not the picture you should think here. Israel was not good, but they were his Canaan was bad. And there was a separation between them with the walls of the city so that no one could get in or get out. The truth of the matter is, God used a people who were wicked to punish a people who were more wicked. So do not think good Israel, bad Canaan. Think of Israel called by the Lord to be his people despite all of their sinfulness and Canaan, who rejected the Lord." This picture is a picture of your future and of mine. It is a picture of judgment coming to the world. And the man with the drawn sword will separate the sheep from the goats, either with the slice of grace or with a slice of judgment, with which will you be cut. There is a limit to the patience of God. And God does not use perfect people except in one instance, Jesus Christ himself to bring about his purposes because except for Jesus, he has people that are sinful with which he deals with. And in case you're confused or wondering about this whole idea of Israel coming into the land. Let me just read to you what Moses says to Israel back in Deuteronomy chapter 9. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. That he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And he goes on to say, please do not thank again that it is because of your righteousness. It is because the Lord is faithful to his promise, which is the chief message of the book of Joshua. He is faithful to his covenant promise. And his covenant promise says that I will make a promise to my people out of my love. To call a group of people undeserving of merit, undeserving because of their merit, undeserving of any of my love, by grace I will call them to be mine and I will preserve them. And I will one day, someday, send a redeemer, a just and righteous man who will live the life they cannot live and die the death they should have died. And I will be faithful to my promise to the end. And God is faithful to his promise to separate those who are his from those who reject him. And when Jesus comes again to make all things new, friends, we will be called to account. And when Jesus comes again to make everything new, At his return, the same feet that left the earth with ascension will come to earth at his return. And there will at that point be, excuse me, Jesus, may I please have a word with you? Excuse me, can we talk just over here just for a second? Like, I thought I'd have more time. Like, I thought when I got older, and I thought that I could believe in you. When Christ comes back, the judgment will happen. And you will be pierced with the sword drawn by the warrior king on the plains of Jericho. Maybe that's why in the gospel of John, it says of Jesus's mother that at his cross, that the cross of Jesus was like a sword that pierces Mary's heart. Because it was at the cross, that you see that the one with the drawn sword becomes the first victim of the judgment of God. Because Jesus, the man with the drawn sword, is sliced through with the blade of judgment so that if you treasure Jesus and trust in him for your righteousness, you might be struck through with the slice The edge of his grace. The clashing of the sword crashed down on Jesus in judgment so that it would not come crashing down with judgment on you. The sword's edge of judgment came down on Christ so that the blade of grace might come down on you. That is the picture of the man with the drawn sword in Jericho. And every single one of us are inside Jericho, locked up tight, hearts that are stubborn, struck full of sin. And this story has no good ending except for the window. Of the gospel. Because there was only one way out of this city. And the spies of Jericho go in and they get Rahab and they pull Rahab out. And they don't pull Rahab out because she was a good girl. Three times in this passage, what do they say of Rahab? They could have just said Rahab. We all know who she, who she is. Three times in this passage, Joshua says, Rahab, the prostitute. You and I may not struggle with her particular form of sin, but with sin, we do struggle. And you and I are no better than Rahab. And the only way that we can escape the sword's edge of judgment is through the window in the city wall. It is, if I can extend the metaphor out a little further, as if the man with the drawn sword were to take the ladder on that seventh day and were to host it hoisted up against the wall and he were to climb up the window and he were to come up the ladder and he'll say, Rahab, take my hand. The city's going to fall. Take my hand. And he takes Rahab and he takes her family and he leads them down the ladder and they're set up outside the camp of Israel to be saved forever. Friends, the only way you can escape the judgment of God, this is a movie trailer that every one of you will see and I will see. As surely as you hear my voice, we will one day face the judgment of God. The sheep will be separated from the goats. And either you will be sliced through with the edge of judgment or you will be sliced through with the edge of grace. Which will it be? Oh, friends, run to the window in that wall. The sound of trumpets were not musical trumpets. They were a signal of the Lord's presence. They were a military signal. And kind of like when Nathan Weber plays the trumpet sometimes in our Good Friday service and other services throughout the year, right? It's a a sound of the presence of God. When you hear the trumpet blasts, for you it will either be terrifying or it will be delightful. When you hear the sound of those trumpets, what will you feel? Do you see the man with the drawn sword coming up the ladder, reaching through the window to take your hand? Do you see Jesus? Oh, friends, please see the man with the drawn sword come out of the city with the high high walls. And know God's odd method of salvation is indeed odd. He says it is not by merit. It is by faith that you're saved. It is not by your righteousness. It is by the righteousness of Jesus. Oh, this is our story. We are Israel on the plains of Jericho. Do you hear the trumpets? See the man with the drawn sword and take his hand. Let's pray together. Father, it is a sobering Thought to think that you will judge the world. And at the moment of your judgment, there is no second chance. And I pray that if there are those in this room who will be sliced through with the edge of judgment, Father, you would open their hearts to believe and to see the good news of the gospel that there is a window and the man with the drawn sword is there to take their hand. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you saved us through your blood, the scarlet cord in the window. Thank you that you rose again to be victorious over sin and death. And thank you that with those same feet that ascended at the ascension, Jesus, that you will return in the flesh to judge. And we pray, Lord Christ, that you will slice us through with the edge of grace and not of judgment. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. Help us to lay our deadly doings down, down at your feet, and to trust in you and you alone, gloriously complete. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will look on page 11 of your bulletin you'll see there are four different ways to give uh, at Trinity and please know we love and appreciate your gifts no matter which of the four methods that you give or you you use but um, if you give online you probably already know we're switching how we give online from the city to an organization called push pay if, if you've been meaning to make that transition because today, tomorrow is our last day to make that transition, but you haven't quite made that transition yet and you have questions or you just want somebody to help you through that process, uh, I'll be in the back right after service to, to help you do that.